Greetings from First Presbyterian Church of Bonita Springs. I'm Pastor Stephen Grant. I'd like to welcome you to this edition of Life Academy. Our five-session topic this time is discipleship, learning how to follow Jesus. If you will recall, when Jesus gave the church our marching orders, he gave us the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations. You'll notice that he did not say, go and make converts. He said specifically, make disciples. And so, if we are going to be going about making disciples near and far, it would be well if we made sure that we were, in fact, disciples of Jesus Christ. So, a good place to start would be to ask the question, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple of Jesus is someone who really goes all in. That is to say, someone who makes Jesus Christ or embraces him as the Lord of all of life. Every aspect of our life is subject to his lordship. We accept him and often refer to him as Lord and Savior. Well, the Savior part is the faith part of believing that Jesus went to the cross for us to pay the price for our sins so we wouldn't have to, to guarantee our eternal life and our reconciliation with one almighty God. But the word Lord then implies authority, that he has authority over our life. Now, there are many, many things in life that vies for our attention to shape the way we think, shape the way we act. And everybody is a disciple of something or somebody, those primary things in their life that shapes who they are. Well, a disciple of Jesus is a person who has embraced Jesus Christ as the influence, certainly the primary influence and shaper of who they are. Everything that we think, everything that we do, everything that we hope and dream for, everything that we desire, the way we relate to one another, the way in which we look at the world, our attitudes, all are under the lordship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, a disciple, then, is a person who recognizes that when they surrender to Jesus Christ, they surrender to him so that he is, in fact, the one who shapes who we are, which then, of course, would determine what we do. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, that is, if anybody would be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. That is to say that we don't take up his cross, only he can do that, but we are to take up our cross, meaning that we are to die to self, recognizing that our life is not our own. It belongs to him. He paid for it at a great price. And so our life belongs to him. And as Paul put it in his letter to Galatians, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. Well, at first glance, that is a disciple of Jesus, one who has embraced him as the Lord of all their life. Now, some like to equate the Christian faith with getting your ticket punched to get you into heaven. Well, it certainly includes that. That wonderful passage of um, John 3.16 says that if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will not perish, but have eternal life. 
So it certainly does include that. But what is, include, what is also a part of it is the fact that the disciple seeks a relationship with Jesus. It is more than just getting into heaven, but even now that we walk arm in arm with our Lord Jesus. And so he, he taught us that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher or a servant like his master. So the goal is, is that we as disciples of Jesus continually grow in the likeness of Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And that's what this session is all about. How do we grow in the likeness of our Lord Jesus? Well, another thing that a disciple is, is a lifelong learner. Someone who spends their whole life getting to know who Jesus is and understanding more deeply what it is that he taught and what he requires of us. So disciples earnestly seek Jesus' truth. And that's why in one of his Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you will be satisfied. That the more you seek him, the more you seek his righteousness for your life, the more you want to get to know just who he is, he will come to you. Also says in scripture, if you draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to you. And it is a two-way relationship. And Jesus also taught that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So yes, a disciple is not only one who completely surrenders to Jesus as the Lord of their life, but he's also, or she is also, a lifelong learner to know not just about him, but to know him. And to learn what it is that he would have us do. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, we have a wonderful uh, description from Jesus as to what a disciple is and does. Because Mark records that when Jesus began preaching, he told us three things. He said, repent, believe in the gospel, and then he went to Peter and he said, follow me. So the first thing we want to do as disciples of Jesus is be lifelong repenters. In other words, repentance isn't just something you do once when you come to faith. But repentance is something that we do on a regular basis, because as we go through life and we experience all kinds of things, good things, bad things, we can adopt attitudes, take on hurts, bitterness, any number of things that regularly need to be dealt with. And so someone who is a disciple of Jesus freely comes to Jesus and confesses and repents of those things that need to be changed in our life. Now, why do we do this freely? Why do we do this without fear? We can do it because, secondly, we believe in the gospel. And that is the one who is our judge is the one who went and died for us. And we know that our sins have been forgiven. We've already been forgiven. And uh, we can come, with, come to him in all confidence, with peace in our hearts, knowing his redemptive love. Well, after we receive that forgiveness, once we are reconciled with one almighty God, then our heart's desire is to want to follow him wherever he leads. Now, sometimes I think when people hear this idea of follow me, it means physically. Well, it might. For instance, uh, one of our pastors, Pastor Su Kim and his family, has heard Jesus' call to go to Thailand and be missionaries. They are following him wherever Jesus leads. But it isn't just physical. It may also be what is in your heart, what is in your mind. 
that he might lead us to a place that we otherwise would not have gone. Oh, yes, he did mean to forgive that guy. <laughs> yes, he did mean when he taught something that's different than the way you view the world. Yes, we surrender that and follow Jesus to a place that we otherwise may not have gone. And sometimes it can be uncomfortable. But what we discover is that when we do follow Jesus, his way is always the best way. So, one might ask the question, well, how do I get a heart like that for Jesus? How can I get to a point in my life when I can fully surrender to him and fully embrace his lordship in my life? Well, this is a good question. And it is also, it is a work of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, we see a very interesting encounter that our Lord Jesus had with Nicodemus, one of the Jewish leaders. And Nicodemus comes late at night to meet with Jesus because he's looking for information. But Jesus is looking for Nicodemus' heart. And Nicodemus comes and he starts questioning Jesus because he said, Rabbi, you cannot be doing these things unless God is with you. And Jesus has a very curious response. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of God. Whoa, born again. That phrase, sometimes people have some ill feelings about that phrase, but I want to encourage you by having quoted that passage that it's not the invention of TV preachers. No, this is Jesus' phrase that we must be born again. And so, since he says that we must do this, then it would be well for us to get a good idea of just what it is he meant. So Jesus wanted Nicodemus' heart. And Nicodemus, when he heard born again, was thinking physical birth. And he even asked, how can I go back into a mother's womb and be born again when I am old? And then Jesus has a very interesting conversation about the wind. Well, there's a play on words going on here. Because in the biblical Greek, the word for wind and the word for spirit is the same word. And so he says, Nicodemus, you know about the wind. You have no idea where it comes from or where it's going, but yet you feel its effect. You know that it's there. So it is with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. And what he's talking about, when one is born again, what it means is that Almighty God and the person of the Holy Spirit, He transforms us from the inside out. As the Scripture says, we become like a new, we are a new creation. He creates something new in us than what was there before. And that new creation, that born-again experience, enables us to come to faith in Jesus Christ and empowers us to be his disciples. I remember there was a, a wonderful Bible teacher who used to be on the radio years ago, and he had a low, gravelly voice. His name was J. Vernon McGee. And old McGee used to say, you know, I am sick and tired of hearing people say that they're giving their heart to Jesus. He said, you don't give your heart to Jesus. What does he want with your old filthy heart? He gives you a new one. And that is consistent with this biblical concept of being a new creation. No, we don't give our heart to him. He comes into us in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the person of the Holy Spirit, and gives us a new heart. And as a result of having a new heart, then this idea that we must be born again, then 
It's because otherwise we would never come to faith. We wouldn't, because we were, the scripture says, we are dead in our sins. And so we would never make that choice ourselves. Now, some people would ask, well, Stephen, don't we have free will? Well, yes, of course we have free will, but we don't have free will to the extent that you think we do. Because before we're born again, we live under the tyranny of a fallen nature. That's why the early chapters of Genesis are so important, to really understand the condition of the human being. And when we are under the tyranny of, the, of a fallen nature, because we are dead in our trespasses, we would never choose Jesus. This is the biblical perspective. Consider this not the best metaphor, but consider this one. Consider the alcoholic. Does the alcoholic have free will? Well, of course he does. But because he lives under the tyranny of his addiction, then it's pretty clear what kind of decisions he's going to make. <laughs> They're not always going to be good decisions until some significant intervention comes into his life in order to get him out from under that tyranny of that addiction. Well, that's the same thing or a similar thing as the Holy Spirit when he comes into our hearts and transforms us from the inside out and, and is able to bring to fruition this new creation. And then, once I have a new heart, then the desires of my heart change, and I freely then choose Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So yes, we do have free will, but in the old self, we were under the tyranny of the fallen nature. But once we're born again, we are now under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so our desires and everything about us now has, in fact, changed. Now, at some point in our life, the Holy Spirit begins to move. Remember Jesus' metaphor of being born again, just like physical birth. You know, it takes a while for that baby in the mother's womb to grow. And over time, it continues to grow until he or she makes his or her public appearance and we have a birth. Such as it is with the Holy Spirit. He begins to move in our life. May it take months, may it take years, may it take decades. But as he moves and brings us to a point where we then can make our confession in our Lord Jesus, and then we have a birth. We have the born-again experience. The fancy theological word for this is regeneration. In other words, someone who was spiritually dead is being regenerated, and the Holy Spirit moves in our life to bring us to a point of faith. Now, some of us among our brothers and sisters can in fact say the moment that they surrender to their Lord Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing for those who can do that. The vast majority of us cannot pinpoint the moment. Some people can say, yes, on such and such a day, April 10th, 1978, I went into my bedroom, got down on my knees, and gave my life to Jesus. Well, God be praised for those of you who can do that. But usually that's about 30% of the people. When I teach Bible classes, sometimes I'll ask the question, and I'll say, how many of you can say exactly the moment when you gave your life to Christ? And uh, about 30% will raise their hand. The rest of us 
know about the general time when, when we could say this, but we don't know the exact moment. So I hope nobody cares, carries any burden about this. Because sometimes people ask me, have I had a genuine born-again experience? And I'll ask, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And they say, absolutely. I say, well, then you did. Now, in my case, which is similar to many of you, is that I grew up in the church. I don't remember a time when we did not come to church. And so one could say, well, I've always been a Christian because I always agreed with what my Sunday school teachers taught, what my pastor taught, and most importantly, what my parents taught. But I believed it because that's what we believed. In fact, my mother used to speak in the royal we, which was always uh, a hilarious memory because I I might go to her and say, Mom, I want to do something. And she says, oh, no, we don't like doing that. I thought, oh, well, I thought I did, but I guess we don't. So, But I would agree simply because that's what we did or what we believe. But at some point in my life, and all of us at some point in our life, have to claim this for ourselves. It's not because that's what we believe or what we're supposed to believe or what we were taught to believe. I believe. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings us to that point. And that's the crucial matter is before we can begin talking about how to be a disciple, we must first recognize that the Holy Spirit has brought us to a point of faith. So you might want to think about what were the influences in your life? Think back. Who were the people in your life that helped shape your spiritual life? What were the big events in your life that impacted you, that brought you to a point where those light bulbs of faith were going on and the Holy Spirit was bringing you to that point where you could say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is a significant moment for all of us to be realized the gift of faith that we have been given. And it is all because the Holy Spirit took the initiative in our life to bring us to that point. Now, to bring this session to a close, we may ask the question, well, once one is born again, is that the end of the story? Well, I should hope not. Just like when a baby is born, the moment that child is born, it immediately begins to change. It begins to grow, and for the rest of its life, it continues to grow, both physically and cognitively and emotionally, spiritually, all those ways. I would hope that when I saw this baby five, ten years later, I expect to see something quite different, a very different person. And so it is with the work of the Holy Spirit. And the fancy word for this is sanctification. And that will be the subject of our session next week. We will talk about how people change. Once we come to faith, the rest of our life, we continue to grow more in the likeness of Jesus. So how does that happen? Well, that's what we'll talk about in our next session. So for now, shalom and much love.